Uh, we're reading from um, Romans chapter 8, and we're starting at verse 31, and we're reading down to verse 39. So Romans chapter 8, verses 31 down to 39. Emily's reading for us. Thank you. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Emily, thank you. Josh, thank you so much. Thank you, team. It's nice to be able to be together again in person and to to hear music live again. I've really enjoyed that this morning. Thank you. Hello to you at home as well, tuning in. This morning we've got lots of questions in our passage. I don't know if you heard it, just read then as Emily took us through. There are big questions that Paul ends this chapter with, and there's four main ones that we're going to think through at the start of our talk just now four main questions but before we get to those I want to ask you all a question this morning let me ask you this what's the most precious thing in your life and to help you think about that what what would you do say that your house is on fire right it's burning down you need to get out instantly you go out the door, what do you grab as you leave the house as it's burning down? What's most precious to you? As you, you, you rush out the door, do you, do you grab your phone, your wallet maybe? Do you grab some jewellery, some photo albums? Your big TV you've just bought, you try to carry that outside the door. What is it that's precious to you? Maybe you should just focus on the kids. Get them outside probably a good idea. What would you do if something like that? What would you struggle to let go of in your life? What about this then? What do you think is most precious to God? What would he struggle to let go of? What would cost him dearly, as it were? What do you think it might be for the God of the universe? And, and I'll give you a little clue. I, I don't think it's, it's you or me. But the answer is in our passage, I think. Now, Paul gives us the answer to this question in response to his first question. And and like Jesus often does, he asks a question and then he answers it with a question. And so the first question Paul asks us here is, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
And what he says is that he, in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So right here, I think Paul is saying that God gave up the most precious thing to him in all existence, and that was his son. He gave his son for you, for, for me. There's nothing more precious to our Father God than his son, the second member of the Trinity, God himself. And so in a way you could say that God was giving himself to us, the most precious thing that you could possibly imagine. Now, maybe that sounds a bit arrogant. His most precious thing is himself. But think about this for a moment. If anything was more precious than God himself, if anything was more valuable or more worthy or beautiful or more powerful or more perfect in any way, well then that would be God. And the God that we worship would not be God because surely we want to worship the most beautiful, worthy thing in existence. So God must give himself as the most precious thing imaginable. And so this is how Paul answers his first question. And that there are four big questions, and they all have the same answer, ultimately. But he says, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, just think. If God gave his own son, if God gave the most precious thing imaginable in order to rescue us, he gave himself, the son of God came to earth at Christmas. If he gave himself to us, to die for us on the cross, if he gave us that, the most precious thing, then, then would he not give everything else along with that? All these lesser things than the most precious thing to him? Well, of, of course he wouldn't let his plan of salvation fail for some lesser thing that he could have given us. And so the answer to this first question, if God's for us, who can be against us? Well, the answer is no one. Because if we gave us the greatest thing imaginable... Well, then, of course, he's going to give us all things else with it. It's like this. Say, say I invite you round to a dinner party, maybe at our home. And I prepare a big five-course meal for you. And I prepare a nice soup and some starters and maybe some nice salmon with herb crust on top. And pudding's my favorite, so I go for a sticky toffee pudding. Maybe some cheese and biscuits after that as well. Huge five-course meal prepared for you as my guest. And you, you come into my home and we sit down to eat this thing that I've given and prepared for you. But... But I don't give you the cutlery to eat any of it with. That's illogical, isn't it? If I've given you this great thing, but I don't give you just something lesser that you can actually enjoy it with, well then, what sort of a host am I? And so it is with God. If he's given his son the most precious thing imaginable, well, of course he won't let anything else get in the way of achieving his salvation, his, his purposes for us. No one can be against his purposes if he's given us his son. And so this is great news. And, and, and these four questions are meant to encourage us this morning because the answer to each of them is the same. And so the second question here, who will bring any charge against those, against God's people, against those he has chosen? Now this question is slightly different to the other ones because, well, we know that as, as Christians, we, we still struggle with sin. You know, we, we do mess up at times. You remember we looked at Romans chapter 7 uh, a few weeks ago great chapter that reminds us of what it's like to live in a fallen world with, with a sinful nature still wrestling in our bodies. And, and we felt the reality of that. 
And Paul reminded us then, he said, I, I do not do the good that I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, that I keep on doing. What, what a wretched man I am. And remember, we, we sort of felt just the struggle of living in this world sometimes. And we feel that, that maybe there are still charges hanging over us in this life. Because you know, we, we wrestle with sin in our lives. But Paul's answer to this question, his second one, is the same. Who will bring any charge against us? And the answer is no one. No one will bring any charge. Why? At the end of verse 33, have a look. It says that it is God who justifies. You see, Paul has spent the last few chapters of his book showing us how God can declare us righteous. That is, that is to be justified. We can be right before God. We can be just as if I'd never sinned, justified. And this is God's work. God is the one who is doing it. And it's a gift of grace. This is the, the good news of the gospel. God's grace is that he justifies us. And no one then can successfully bring any charge against us. Even though we wrestle with sin, there is no charge left hanging over us if God has justified us. And similarly, with the third question he comes to, well, who is the one who condemns? And what's the answer going to be to that? Well, no one, no one can condemn you if you are in Christ. And so Paul goes through these questions, just trying to answer any, any reservations people have about his great news that he's been telling us about. But we say to Paul, are you sure, Paul, that this is true? Are you sure that no one can condemn me now that I am in Christ? Now, your letter, this gospel, it just seems too good to be true sometimes. Do you, do you feel that? You know, we know that the devil is pretty powerful. You know, he, he is an accuser. He's a slanderer. He wants to bring Christians down. He, he knows that we don't deserve God's grace. And I, I often hear his condemning voice, I think. Even my own, my own conscience does at times. Have you ever felt that? You know, I think we all might have sins in our lives that will often try to trip us up. It's like the devil, he, he knows where we're weakest in our life. And he'll try to get you to fall once again into those old habits. When you're tired, when temptation seems more easy to, to give into. And we know God hates the sin in our life. But in that moment of powerlessness, we, we stumble again. And maybe our anger flares up. And maybe that jealousy just comes back in again. Or our lustful hearts, they just seek a moment's pleasure somewhere. And so like in Romans 7, the last chapter, you know, we feel this war that's been waged in us and against us. And when we lose one of those battles against sin, how quickly we feel condemned and, and hopeless. We think God couldn't love me anymore. This is just one too many times, surely. You know, I've, I, I can't be a real Christian, can I, if I keep falling like this? No one else seems to struggle like I do. But Paul says, well, who is the one who condemns? You know, I, I can't be alone in this. It feels like everybody is condemning me, even my own conscience, it seems, wants to condemn me. But no, Paul says, look at your Bibles now, verse 34. He says that Jesus has died. More than that... He was raised to life. And is at this very moment, picture that, he's at this moment 
at the right hand of God interceding for us. And I do literally like to picture this sometimes. And I picture, you know, the scenes of heaven. All that the heavenly hosts are gathered. God is there and his angels. And maybe even the devil comes into that presence at once. And he, he tries to, to bring an accusation against one of God's people. And he looks, looks down and he sees a young Christian. And he sees her life. And, and the devil says, look, look at this, this child of yours, God. Look what she's just done. She's just lied again to her parents for something that she said she didn't do. It's the 11th time this month. And you say that this is your child? Father in heaven, the devil says, you are perfect. You cannot let perfect come into your presence. How can you let this child come into your presence? She's impure. She's dishonest. Cast her out. Blot her out of your book. And then as I picture this scene... They're sort of quiet in heaven. And then Jesus speaks up. And he says, be quiet, snake. I died for that woman. My blood covers her sin, including this latest fall. My love for her is greater than your hate. No one can condemn her anymore. Nothing can separate her from my love. And the devil slithers away to look for another Christian to try, accuse, and condemn. Because no one can condemn you if you are in Christ. Every sin has been washed away and blotted out. No one can condemn you. And this is the fourth question now that Paul comes to in this great book. He says, well, then who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And at this point, he brings up perhaps one of the most hardest, the most difficult questions that anyone could ask in the Christian faith. He says, well, what about, what about suffering? What about hardship and difficulties and, and persecutions and hunger and famine and, and poverty and war and pain and disease? What about suffering that, that we all face in this world? How can you say that God still loves us when we're in the middle of a pandemic that's killed over a million and a half people around the world? Can you say God loves us? This really is a, a huge question. Paul spoke about it in in the previous verses. We looked at it last week in verse 28. It's one of the key verses to answer this question. And and Dan spoke about it very briefly. Verse 28 of this chapter says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Those who have been called according to his purpose. And so you see, God does have a purpose amid all the suffering in this world. And though it is very hard to see it from our, our limited perspective, and, and at times it's impossible to see, but we must trust God's word that he says all things are working for good, including the suffering that you're facing right now. John Wyatt is a professor, he's a doctor, and he, he said this once, he said, suffering is not a question that demands an answer. It's not a problem that demands a solution. It's a mystery which demands a presence. 
the suffering, it, it is a mystery, and at least from our perspective. But God is present in it, quite literally. It's what Christmas is about. He enters into the suffering world to experience it himself, ultimately at his execution on a cross. And so Paul asks us now, well, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall suffering, shall death or life or angels or demons, the present or the future or, or any power, can any of these things separate us from his love? No. The answer is simple. Nothing and no one will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. No one. And so four times, as he goes through these questions quickly in his his passage, he says, no one can separate us. No one can condemn you. No one can bring any charge against you. And I want us to just to feel the wonder of, of this news. These are huge questions. But feel the wonder of the answers here this morning. It is absolutely stunning to know that that God is for his people. He has given his most precious thing for each of us. You see, I remember when I I was a teenager and a a young Christian, I I would often doubt that, that I was really saved, that I was really in Christ. And I, I wrestled with sin in my life and there's, Addiction, and I, and I struggled with you know, my sexual identity and trying to work out how do I live my life in Christ. And I, and I didn't know what to do with these things that, that I felt. And, and I would commit myself to the Lord. I put my faith in him and I said, yes, I trust in Christ and his death to save me. And yet, at every failure, at every fall, again, I'll just be racked with guilt and shame. And I, and I would feel and ask myself, am, am I really a Christian? You know, maybe I've, I've lost my salvation. I just can't imagine that God would love me. I don't feel loved. If anything, I feel, I feel condemned. You know, I'll never measure up. I keep on falling. And for years, I was... Until somebody taught me about assurance, about the confidence that we can have as Christians, about the certainty of your and my salvation, about the promises and about the guarantees that God gives every single believer. And when I was taught this, it it began this journey in my faith, this deepening peace and security and confidence in my Christian life. And some would call it this blessed assurance. And there's a little phrase in our passage that I think gets to the real heart of this assurance that God gives us. And there are, there are five key words, five words. And I think these really unlock the whole of this assurance in our life. And they, they come in verse 33. And I've actually written them out for us as well this morning to help us see them. Because they're so big, I want us to, to understand what they are. Now this works, we're going to see in the middle, our passage. Five words that reassure us about what God has done for every one of us. 
And I've made them so big because I want us to see and to remember what God has done for us all. And the five words say this, those whom God has chosen. I'm going to need my notes still. Those whom God has chosen. So in verse 33, these words unlock this passage for us. And it's these five words that give you and I the greatest assurance. So how again, how is this the key for us all? Well, again and again through scripture, it tells us that God has chosen you if you are a Christian. So a few verses back in verses 28 and 29, it talks about believers who have been called according to his purpose. And then it says that God foreknew them. He predestined them. That is, he predestined every Christian to be conformed to the image of his son. And so there is a call on every believer's life. That goes back to, to a purpose that was forged even before you were born. Even before your, your parents were born. Or even before the first Christmas, 2020 years ago. This plan goes back even before Adam and Eve walked on this earth. This purpose, this plan, it goes back into eternity past. Into the very heart of God himself. And so in, verse, in, in Ephesians chapter 1... We are told about this plan. It says that God chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And it says that in love, he predestined us to adoption for sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. So every single believer in Christ has been called and chosen by God for salvation. It's what Dan called last week, that unbreakable chain. This is God's plan, and he will do it. Those whom God has chosen. So these questions that that Paul ends this chapter with, they are meant to so encourage us in our walk with God. Because if you have been chosen by God, Well, then no one can be against you. No one can bring any charge against you. No one can condemn you. And no one can separate you from God's love in Christ. Even your own sin. Christ, once he has covered it with his blood, no one can remove his seal of approval, his guarantee over your life. And this is the best news that those whom God has chosen have the absolute assurance in our Christian life. This coming Friday, I'm not sure if you're aware, but many Jews will be celebrating Hanukkah, or the great festival of lights, they call it. Now, as a Jew, Jesus celebrated this great festival as well. And at this festival, many, many years ago, it records for us in the Bible that Jesus was there, and he spoke some incredible words at one of these festivals. And you can see it in John chapter 10. In verse 27, he says, this is what Jesus said. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them 
and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one, listen to this, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. When I realized that these words were about me as a young Christian, it just blew me away. And this is what gave me that blessed assurance that those whom God has chosen, no one can snatch them out of God's hand. And so I wonder this morning if if there are people listening here or or online at home who need to, to hear these words today in your own life. And my prayer is that, that you may know, that you may believe with all your heart that no one can take away the salvation of any of those that God has chosen. You are secure, utterly secure. And let me back this up with just, just one more verse that, that might warm your hearts on, on this cold winter day. It says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul just starts his whole letter by saying this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. That's how he starts this letter. He has chosen you. You this morning, he's chosen you if you are in Christ. And when you line that up with all these glorious assurances of our passage and and the rest of Scripture, it, it just shows you how great the love of God really is. That he would give up his most precious thing, his son, so that nothing would separate us from his love. And his love really is the thing that holds us all together. Three times in our passage, Romans 8, it talks about God's love. Verse 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He says, no, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And the very last verse says that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So do you know that love? Do you know that love this morning? Do you have that assurance? It can be yours today. Every believer in Christ can know that assurance. Absolutely. But as I begin to close, just a point to note that some people can actually get worried about this whole doctrine of assurance. And they can perhaps even think that this incredible truth about those whom God has chosen, or for some that this statement itself can even cause doubts in your minds. And that they worry, well, well, what if I'm not chosen? What if I'm not predestined? And people worry about this and they they actually turn this glorious truth into more seeds of doubt. In John chapter 6, it says these words, and this is important. Jesus says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Do you hear that? Whoever comes to Christ, he will never drive you away. There is no room for doubt. If you come to Christ, he will welcome you. He will never drive anyone away. And so if you're doubting, you need to hear this too. This is a promise. This is a a certain fact that no one can separate you from his love. 
And so if you come to Christ in repentance, in faith, you'll be welcomed as a dearly loved child. And you will know these words are true about you. And so do you know that love? You see, that there are only two ways to live in this world. One is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the other one is to reject our Lord Jesus. To not come to him. When, and we do that when, when he is not the most precious thing in your life. And so God, I believe he's calling you today. So are you going to respond? Are you going to respond by faith? Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise of scripture. And, and we can each know this, this absolute assurance, the certainty in our faith. That if God is for us, then no one can be against us. So I hope these, these five words here behind me are an encouragement to you, those whom God has chosen. Have you responded to his call? And if you have these four answers, these four promises, they each have the same answer. No one can be against you. No one can come between God's love for you. Three times we're reminded in our passage of the great love of God for us in Christ. Which just leaves you with two ways to live. Either in faith in Christ or in rejection of him. Because there really is only one way to have assurance in this life. To have that peace and that security and that confidence that we all long for. And that is by resting in the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Our Father God, thank you so much for this wonderful news that we've heard this morning. The wonderful assurance that we can have in our Christian lives as we walk with you. Father, thank you for sending your most precious son to be our savior. So that no one can come between us and you. No one can bring any condemnation or any charge against us. Father, please fill us with your spirit, that seal, that guarantee that we are yours so that we might know this deep assurance in our lives. Father, I pray for those who may be struggling this morning, those who are doubting, who who are fearful for their salvation. Father, flood our hearts, flood our minds with the peace that only comes from you to know that we are loved. Now, Father, we worship you. We thank you for these glorious truths. Please, please instill them deep in our hearts this morning. And I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.